Welcome to the Green Phoenix's Mylar, my look at recovery. This is a podcast that will be focusing on mental health, understanding recovery, and restoring a voice to those who it has been taken from. We are back again with Pastor Larry, and we're going to continue the conversation that we've been having over the last few weeks. And since he's been mostly guiding the conversation, I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to you, Larry. Thank you, Heather. Um, the last time we came together, we we talked about a kind of a really difficult question. So this whole conversation has been around the value of connections, the value of having people in your life that help guide you or can be there or be that rock for you, that foundation in your life, that, that go-to when you're struggling. And you asked a really interesting question that I really don't think, I, I mean, I had an answer sort of, but I don't know how good of an answer. And I don't know that there is a right answer out there for this. But you asked the question of when somebody is struggling and they reach out to get help and they're reaching out to the professionals, they're reaching out to the helplines or the counselor or whoever that might be. And they don't seem to be being heard. What they're trying to say and what they're trying to do is either seen as just playing games, trying to get attention, or just dismissed altogether. And you ask, how does somebody that's trying to get help actually get heard? And that's a difficult question. Uh, A really, really difficult question. We talked through just a little bit last time on maybe the perspective of somebody on the other end of the phone that's trying to weigh out how they respond and what they do in those situations. And so we can pick up there and kind of talk about that a little bit. I think the value of having a connection group that you can go to and ask them to help you take that next step. But there comes a point within that connection group that you have to trust them to help you make that decision, to help you get that help. Um, For example, uh, one of the things that's really difficult, and remember the pressure that's on that support group too, is if you've got somebody especially dealing with thoughts of suicide, especially if they have a plan in place to trust the person that you're talking to, to get you the help you need. So that might be hospital. That might be calling 911 and trusting them to help you with that. But in that moment, it may be counterintuitive. How do you, where are you, where are you at when you're in that situation? I know you've been in that situation. You've been on both sides of it. Well, you know, all too well, and I appreciate you not saying it because you respect my boundaries and privacy, but the reality is that 
we were in that situation not that long ago, and it's because of the level of trust that I have with you that I was able to reach out, but even then, it was hard for me to tell you where I was at. It was hard for me to tell you because in my mind, I was trying to say, take me to the hospital, which was the very last place I wanted to go. And I don't remember a lot of that night, thankfully, but I do know that it escalated to a point where you really didn't feel like you had a choice and you ended up having to call 911. And thankfully, you were there. Because if you hadn't been there, I'm sure things would have gone much differently. But in the end, we worked out a plan together where you were able to keep me safe and you trusted me enough to know that I was going to be safe without ending up in the hospital. And I think that's the key here is that trust has to be on both sides. It can't just be on one person's side. And part of the reason that I, I asked you the question that I asked you last time, and I don't think I necessarily realized it at the time, but I've been struggling for months. And in the back of my head, those thoughts had been there. And I knew there was going to come a time when I was going to have to ask you for help. And so I, I guess I subconsciously was trying to ask you that day, even though it wasn't in that moment. Okay. And I know this is, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty raw thing to talk about yeah. on a podcast. And, and I appreciate your openness to this. Look, I think it's important for anyone that's listening to realize that not everyone is able to handle that level of difficulty. And that's where it's important to build that network with the right people. Uh, your journey, you've had different counselors. We've been working on different counselors for you and that's been a whole different conversation, but it, it's hard to find the right counselors. It's hard to find the right people that can take the time to help you. And we're one piece of that puzzle. Ideally, when you build a support system around yourself, you have different people in your life that can help you at different points in different places. Uh, I'll give another example. We've been helping you trying to find a car. There's been people that you've been able to rely on that aren't necessarily me, although I was a part of that journey, that could help you find a car. Right. So there's a different group of people that have a different set of skills and a different knowledge set. And then you've got a doctor that's been working with you on the physical side that's taking the time to listen to you and help you on the physical side. So this isn't just a one person support system. It takes a group of people that you develop relationship with over time that are that support system. And I think if, if, if we can build those support systems in 
in people's lives that that not only those that are struggling would recognize that, but those of us that are helping people that are struggling, that we're not saviors. We can't solve every problem. We can't, we, we, you've heard the word codependence. There can be a, a negative side to that as well for those that are helping, is that they can become codependent on the helping side, that they feel like they need to be there. So we can't solve every problem. And so it takes a group of people in each of our lives that we can turn to. I've told you the same thing. I, as a pastor, have a different group of people that I rely on. I have friends. I have a counselor. I have people that I reach out to when I struggle. And it's not the same person all the time. It depends on what I'm struggling with. So I think that's a, a big part of this conversation is building that system with a group of people. And sometimes that group doesn't necessarily know each other, the people in that group, but you have relationship with them. They're in that sphere of influence in your life. And that takes time to build that. And that can be difficult. Yes. <laughs> One of the things that I don't think a lot of people realize is that this is not the first time I've had a support system in place. It's just really the first time I've had a healthy support system in place. Because I've had people in the past that served as advocates, but they never really took the time to develop a real relationship with me. And Part of that was on me. I'm not the same person that I was 11 years ago. Not even the same person I was six months ago. Partly because you've pointed that out to me a few hundred thousand times a day. But that is really important, what you were talking about, is knowing your limits and helping the other person, especially someone like me who may not always recognize or understand boundaries you have to be willing to say, hey, nope, I can't handle this. I need you to go find someone else. But don't just put it in a way that they realize you are putting in a healthy boundary. You're not turning them away. And if you can, try to help direct them to somebody, like with the therapist that I hope we find sooner than later because there is a massive gap in the system right now. And it makes it really hard to find someone who is worth anything. And not every counselor is right for every person. Not every therapist is right for every person. And it's really frustrating. Yeah, I mean, you brought up a good point. There are boundaries. There are limits to what anybody can do, or even a healthy relationship. Um, there's always boundaries and limits there, and it's not always easy to recognize. And for those of us on the helping side of things, we have to recognize where we're at as well, because we'll burn out or get frustrated or, you know, get overwhelmed because we don't always know what to do. One of the things that we've learned over the last few months in, in this journey that you've been on is asking the right questions 
and then seeking out people that can help with those answers. And it's been a hard journey, but we're starting to see the fruit of that journey. We're starting to see those pieces fall into place, but it's being persistent in making that happen and being persistent in following through and encouraging. Um, I wanna kinda redirect this for just a minute. with the building of that support system, Heather, mm -hmm. and learning to trust the people that are around you, what have been barriers for you in gaining that trust? What have been barriers that make it difficult on your end? We kind of covered part of this last time with the unconscious bias and prejudice mm -hmm. based off my past experience. That's really been detrimental. And the fact that you're a pastor for a very long time, I wouldn't even call you by your name. And there are still things that I struggle with. Anybody that is in a position of authority or even perceived authority because of the way that I was raised in my past, it makes it very difficult for me to trust them and to let my guard down with them, especially people in the mental health world. And it's not something that I am consciously doing, and I try to be aware of it, but the other part of it is that trust is not something that should come easily. And I think in my past, there have been times that I trusted people too easily and then got burned badly and have gotten hurt badly because I put the trust in the wrong people or I gave them too much trust and they used that against me. So it really is just finding that balance but at this, like I said earlier, that trust has to be on both sides. It cannot be one-sided. And I think that was one of the biggest things in the past was I would willingly trust people and I would say, oh, well, obviously you're an authority. You know better. I can trust you. But that trust wasn't reciprocated. And so they, they were able to do things that because I trusted them, I would tell them things, but they didn't trust me and were and it caused more problems, which is part of the reason why I ended up in the hospital as much as I did, because of the lack of trust. All right. I'm going to bring this back around because this is about connection and the reason, and I got the creaky chair today, <laughs> and this is the reason I'm going to bring this back around. Trust is something that's earned over time that any time that trust is broken, it's harder to gain it back. Even with new people, we, we associate that prejudice, all of that. But the thing that I, I think we need to focus on as people on either side of the journey, whether we're people that need help or people that are trying to help, we're both at different times, that 
that comes out of building relationship. That comes out of taking time to get to know one another, taking time to understand. And that, that has, for some, for you, that's, that's a difficult thing because you struggle with social cues, you struggle with conversations and self-confidence. So building those relationships, you're guarded because of missteps where you've trusted people or you've given too much away too quickly before you knew that that was somebody that could be in your inner circle and developing those skills. And for those of us on the other side of the table in this journey, it's taking the time to ask good questions and to truly get to know who the person sitting on the other side of the table is. That's something we've missed, not just in the mental health side, not just in uh, clinical settings or leadership settings, but in life. There are a handful of people in our lives that we know well And we need to take the time to get to know the people that are around us. It's not going to be everybody. We're not going to have the same relationship with everybody. But picking those few that we click with on some level and spending time with them. For, for some people, you've, you've developed relationships uh, with some of the ladies in our church. And you guys knit blankets. Crochet. Crochet blankets. Or take string and tie it in knots and it comes out in a blanket. So develop relationship and while you're doing that, you're getting to know each other better through that building of that relationship. So we build relationships over the common themes of our lives and that builds our support system. That builds the people that we can rely on and as we get to know one another, we can understand where some of those boundaries are. There have been people in our church that have helped you with a lot of things, but aren't able to help you with the struggles that you have with other things. And it's learning that. And sometimes it's learning that by testing that boundary and then finding out, well, no, that's not really the best place. Not to be offended or anything like that, but to, to know, oh, they're, they're not equipped to do that. They're not equipped to help me there. Unfortunately, I have learned that lesson with some people at church. And it's frustrating because I know that they genuinely want to help. I, I learned that lesson in Toastmasters, too. And the problem is that once they cross that boundary, they now see me differently. And as a result, they treat me differently and they don't really see who I am and I don't know how to correct that, which just makes me even more guarded with people that I don't know because I don't want that experience. I think the way you correct it is over time. It's learning from maybe, a, maybe it's a misstep, maybe not, but learning from that and then putting that away and saying, okay, they can't help me with this, but they're still my friend. They still care about me and I can still spend time with them. 
It's just they're not that person there. And that just takes the time of recognizing and understanding that they're not pulling away from you. They just maybe can't help here. And they don't know what to do with it. It's not so much them pulling away from me as that I found myself pulling away from them and talking to them less. Because anytime I try to talk to them, they go back to that specific moment, which has been over a year now. And they they don't recognize the change, partly because I don't see them that often. Yeah. Which it just makes it really difficult for me because, well, it's part of the reason why you helped me find a new doctor. Because when I first went to my PCP, I was in a really bad place, ended up in the hospital with pneumonia just before I saw her and all of the stuff that was going on, and I was in a really bad mental place and steroids, and I do not get along. And so she saw me a certain way, and then the first time I saw her, when I was more or less clear-headed in who I actually am, she couldn't see past what she knew to see who I really was. And that is one of the most frustrating things for me. And I try really hard not to do that to other people. And I know that I probably do because we all do. But I think in a lot of ways I'm more conscious to it because I'm so used to people doing it to me. But to the detriment of that, it does make it harder to let my guard down with new people, especially when it's somebody that... I'm not looking to be in my inner circle, but seeking out a new therapist and talking to them. And I'm not doing it intentionally, but how do I get them to understand that? I think uh, I think it comes with some pre-conversation of past experience. Hey, here's what I've been through in the past. And I haven't always been seen for who I am because of at that moment I was struggling. And that's who I am at that moment. But this is also part of who I am and I need help with this moment. But that's not all of who I am. And again, that's where learning to talk to them beforehand and can really help with that. It also helps when you have someone in your corner. Sure. They can talk to them and maybe explain things to them in a way that they understand. Because let's face it, I don't speak human well, but I'm fortunate enough that I have you and Jennifer to help translate And not just translate for me to them, but them to me so that I can understand things a little better. It really does make a difference. And I know I'm not the only one. I know there are some humans that have trouble speaking human, but they don't recognize it. And I think that's one of my biggest frustrations is that people don't seem to realize at some point in their life, they're we're all going to struggle with our mental health. It doesn't mean we have all have a mental illness. But just like we're all going to struggle with our physical health at some point, 
we're all going to struggle with our mental health at some point. And part of the reason why I started this is because I want people to recognize that it's okay to have these conversations, and hopefully this will inspire other people to talk about it. Well, one, I think one last thing, because we're, we're going to get close on time here. Um, what is something that will help us on this side of the table better understand somebody that's struggling? What is something that we need to help us to understand where you're at or somebody else that's struggling is at? What are some things that we can look for, some things that we can avoid? That is a really complicated question with an even more complicated answer that's summed up by I don't know. I think one of the things people need to realize, and you know this, it drives me crazy when people tell me that they understand when they have never lived through the experience because there are certain things that if you have never lived through them, you can't truly understand. If you have never had suicidal thoughts, you don't understand what that's like. If you have never been on the brink of wanting to take your own life, you cannot understand what that feels like. And until you have actively tried to take your own life and cross that barrier, you will not understand what that's like. And if you don't understand, I hope you never do. And I think one of the most important things is to realize that and acknowledge that. And don't tell someone that you understand something if you've never lived through it. I don't understand childbirth because I've never given birth to a child. So I'm not going to tell somebody, oh yeah, I understand that, that, that must really hurt because I don't know. But at the same time, I can say, you know what? I can see that you're hurting. I can see that you're in pain. I don't have to understand completely to at least express some concern and just listen to you let you talk to me and explain what's going on without judgment and without this need to understand. Because there are some things you don't need to understand in order to empathize with a person. Okay. That is great. That is, I know you did this to me at the end of the last one is threw me a question that we didn't plan. That was kind of a difficult one. I, I, I threw one back. I did, um, knowing that it's a difficult question. Because when people get uncomfortable, they go to what I call default words. Like, we think they're words of empathy, but they're really just default words. Like, I understand, I know, it's okay. Um, I get it. 
So there's a lot of things there that are default words, and I know those words frustrate you sometimes, which I've been trying to show you that sometimes when people use the, those words, it's kind of like a greeting. When we say, hey, how you doing? A lot of times we have really no interest in how you're doing. We're just saying hi. And, and, and I know that sounds bad because it, on some level we do care, but we're really not in that place at that moment to hear everything. And so those are weird, awkward social moments that they frustrate you. Uh, your default is I don't know. And a lot of times you do know, you just don't know how to express it. But I think that's a conversation that we need to have on, on how to actively communicate with somebody and just show that empathy without saying things that might come across as patronizing or checked out. Like you're just kind of there, so you're just like, uh-huh, yeah. And, and that's hard. That's hard because not everybody all, you know, not everybody has the bandwidth to know what to do. And I think for those of us that are on the, the side that's helping, we need to be big enough to say, look, I really don't know how to help you with this. I want to help you, but I really don't know how to help you. And just to be honest about it, not to say, okay, I'll pray for you, but to really, and we do need to pray for people. I say that as a joke, but that's kind of a default as believers. We're like, well, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying that I have never have this conversation again. It's probably more like the prayer, but to actually admit, look, I don't know how to help you with this. Maybe I can find somebody that can. I want to thank you because without probably intending to, you kind of circled back to the first time we started, the first episode of this, where we were talking about active listening. And I think what often happens is you, you have those default words, but then you also have people that are so gung-ho and they, they want you to feel heard. And so they're going to, they're going to use their active listening lack of skills because they don't really understand what active listening should look like. So it's like falling back into the, oh, okay, well, this is what I was taught this body language means. So obviously that's what it always means. And with active listening, it's, oh, okay, I'm just going to parrot back what you're saying so that you think that I'm hearing you when I'm really not. I'm just listening so that I can parrot back. But I think the most valuable thing that you said today is that sometimes you don't know. And when you acknowledge that and say, hey, look, you know what? I can't help you with this, but let's see if we can find somebody who can. Because that's going to make someone like me feel heard and realize that, you know what? You do care. It's just that it's not within your wheelhouse. So you're you're putting up the boundary in a way that doesn't feel like, oh, yeah, sorry, you're not helpable. Just shoot. It's just, it's showing that you're valued, that the door to relationship isn't closed. It's just that, look, I may not be able to help you with this. Um, I will look at a car 
and I can fix some things, but there will come a point where I will have to tell you, I can't help you with this. Um, it's the same thing in a relationship. And we, to try and protect ourselves or to try and make ourselves look a little bit better than we are, we, or maybe just out of embarrassment, we will try and act like we can do something instead of just being honest and saying, man, I, I really don't know what to do here. That honesty helps open up the conversation. You might learn how to do it, or just that honesty might open up the door to, that you both are able to find that answer. Um, the other side of that coin is, and just like anything, there's a balance. The other side of that coin is, let's not get lazy and check out of conversations and say, well, I don't know, and get lazy in a conversation because we don't want to go down that road. Or we just don't want to, you know, spend the time or the energy. Well, the difference is, is the way that you, you said it earlier, that, you know what, I want to help you with this, but I don't have the necessary skills. Let's help. Let's work on finding someone that does. Because then you feel heard, you feel validated, you potentially gain a small sense of worth in yourself that has never existed before, which can be difficult for people that aren't used to that and they will buck against it yeah absolutely um well I, i'm just going to say this at, at, at the end and, and maybe this is a conversation we can continue um when we are honest about our communication and our boundaries we open up for genuine relationship and that is we throw up these guards and sometimes we'll say things not intending to be dishonest, but intending to defuse and we, we, we dilute the, the relationship. Now, we're not talking about brutal honesty that just totally annihilates somebody, but being honest about where we're at in the situation and where we're understanding it is and and, and about those boundaries. We get uncomfortable and when we get uncomfortable, we don't know what to do. And so sometimes we err on the side of, we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. So we just say what we think they want to hear. Instead of just saying, look, I can't help with this. I don't know what to do here. I love you, but I don't know what to do. Um, and something I always tell you, and I, I wish more of us would do, is in these kind of relationships, I'll tell you I don't know what to do, but I'll tell you I'll walk with you through it. I may not know the answer, but I'll walk with you until we find it. And that makes the world of difference for someone like me or me. Well, we are out of time for today, but I want to thank you, and I hope you'll join us again when we continue this conversation in about two weeks. But for now, we're going to sign off. 